1: This is Southern Remedy on MPV Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Well, this is the time for you to call in to Southern Remedy. If you have a question or a comment about your health or the health of someone in your family or a friend, this is the hour to do that. So we encourage you to call and we will try to get you the answers that you need to uh, answer those questions about your health care, the number to call is one mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Or you can always send us an email, not just when we're on the air, but uh, anytime to remedy at mpbonline.org. You can also go to mpbonline.org and listen to past programs. We do archive those and just search uh, on the MPB Online website uh, for Southern Remedy, I want to encourage everybody. If you do have a question, to go ahead and call in now. Uh, we have a little bit more time in the uh, usually in the first part of the hour to uh, to focus on your question. I Always hate to rush. Uh, we get so many good calls. Um, uh, hate to rush anybody or leave anybody off. Um, but we do encourage you to do that uh, early on. So I'm giving you permission to be that first caller on the air. Hey, some bad storms coming our way. Uh, hopefully, we won't have uh, all of the predicted uh, negative uh, effects of those. I'm looking at radar right now on my screen, though it looks like uh, towards the end of the day and into the night might be bad. So go ahead and make preparations for that to keep your yourself um, uh, safe. Uh, uh, you know, lots of uh, lots of rain, high winds, possible tornadoes, and uh, maybe some hail in some places as big as a uh, golf ball to tennis ball size they say. So hopefully we will not have that, but go ahead and make some, some, uh, safety preparations, uh, in your home. Uh, we need a break here in Mississippi. We've had, uh, lots of bad weather over the, over the last month, but, uh, hopefully this won't be too bad. Uh, good news on the COVID front. We continue to have good numbers in the state, not, uh, not totally a green flag to go all out, um, uh, without, uh, you know, any kind of, uh, thoughts about, uh, Uh, how we might continue to protect ourselves, but we're doing very well. We have a lot of people who are vaccinated now, so we've got uh, right around a third of the state that's vaccinated, and you're probably aware that the governor, um, in conjunction with the Mississippi State Department of Health, has opened up vaccinations for all Mississippians age 16 and up, so if you or your family are around that age, you don't have to have a special health condition, uh, basically everybody's 16 years of age or older. Um, there is a little bit of difference, uh, in how, um, uh, 16 to 18 year olds can get that vaccine. Um, but, uh, other than that, uh, there's a, you know, go ahead and make those calls to get that. There's lots of different ways to do that on the Mississippi State Department of Health website. Or you can go to the UMC website and we have a um, a sign up to or uh, check with your physician. A lot of hospitals or centers of excellence now for COVID testing and treatment and they have uh, vaccines are available. Uh, Three different choices, of course, Pfizer, Moderna and Johnson & Johnson. More about that later. We're going to go to our first caller, though. I believe it's Kathleen from Osaka. So good morning, Kathleen. What is your question this morning?
2: Well, it's a question and a tip, Doc. Uh, we've got bad weather coming in. When you said that, it made me think because if you can put your prescriptions that you know you're going to need in a place that you know you can reach them possibly in the dark, any prescriptions that need refrigeration, make sure you have some ice in a ice chest or something to put them in. Last time, we had no idea that the lights would be off for a week or two and people without water and all this stuff. And their medicines are so important. And uh, just take care and put put them aside where you can find them if you need.
1: That's a great uh, that's great advice, Kathleen. And uh, uh, you hit all the things that I would um, you know talk about uh, with uh, with vaccine. I mean, with uh, with medication. So uh, definitely want to put them somewhere you can get to them easily. And if there's special considerations for those, if they need to be refrigerated, go ahead and pack them in ice. All right, is that all right, Kathleen? Thank you for calling and uh, for those comments. Some great advice there. Good thing about Southern Remedy is we uh, tend to share that with everybody. Share some emails too from time to time if they're uh, if we think that they would be a- applicable. And of course, you give us permission to do that. Uh, so I do want to thank everybody for uh, regularly doing that. And uh, Kathleen's just one good example of that. The number to call if you have a question or comment is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. A couple other things on the COVID information. So, you know, just to to keep in mind the scope of things, we tend to forget sometimes just how difficult a year that we've had. Uh, I know there's plenty of families out there that may have lost a loved one uh, because of COVID. And certainly we had just in Mississippi alone almost 7,000, We'll probably pass that mark sometime in the next few weeks, uh, with about uh, 300,000 cases of uh, of COVID. So that's uh, continually we're we're not out of the woods yet. Certainly have seen a lot of improvements. Uh, Vaccines have been a part of that. Certainly all the other measures that we have uh, that we've taken on. Um, You know, there is a lot of questions between. I have a lot of questions in clinic about which vaccine is best. Uh, You know, in my opinion, the best vaccine is the one that you can get uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, They certainly all three of the vaccines are available right now in the U.S. and in Mississippi have um, are very effective against COVID. Uh, Both Pfizer and Moderna are about 95 percent effective in preventing uh, getting COVID if you haven't if you're exposed to it. And then Johnson & Johnson. 65% 65% effective, which may sound a little low, but you have to keep in mind uh, the severity of illness in those who did get it after, uh, did get COVID after they received the Johnson Johnson vaccine, had almost no hospitalizations and very mild or uh, courses of it that did not require them to uh, go in the hospital and no deaths. So that is a huge improvement. I uh, know it's not big numbers. A lot of people would still say, well, you know, I got it. I didn't find um that's true, but I can tell you firsthand those and families would too, those almost seven thousand people in the state uh who uh who died, uh, that was a huge impact. And uh we certainly don't want to forget that and we wanna honor their lives uh in what we do moving forward. But certainly great uh leeway on uh and kudos to all the different people at, at everywhere, not just in the development of these vaccines, but also in helping to get them out to the people who need them. So continue to do that. If, you're, if you've are if you been holding out on it, there's really no, uh, you know, very few reasons why you wouldn't qualify for a vaccine. Uh, the three that we're using appear to be very safe and uh, don't really have any uh, major side effects other than uh, some flu-like symptoms or some pain at the injection site, maybe some fatigue and weakness for about a day. Uh, but other than that, almost everybody has had uh, has had almost no problems with that.
0: Dr. Jimmy, let me jump in here for just a minute if I could just to follow up on your uh, vaccine discussion. I just like to Throw out a big thank you to the men and women who are manning these drive-through vaccination sites. It's the National Guard, I think, and some uh, medical personnel. I've had my two shots, and both times I went through there, uh, they were extremely professional. They were friendly. Uh, the procedure for me went through without a hitch. Uh, didn't have to wait very long. Went through, you know, everything. And also the the two days I went, it was a little bit cold, and especially the second day, it was a little bit cold and rainy. And again, a big thanks to those men and women who are willing to, you know, stand around in the rain in the cold uh to make sure that the rest of us are, are getting this important vaccine
1: yeah thanks for bringing that up kevin because that's, that's incredibly important a lot of these people are you know donating their time uh, it is very exciting i've, I've talked i volunteered uh locally here uh didn't certainly didn't stand out in the rain or anything like that so not, i didn't that wasn't too much of a sacrifice but um i you know Had about 14 hours where I helped to give vaccine, and I can't tell you how exciting it was for me and for other people to be a part of that. For so many months, it seemed that we were on the defensive against COVID, and this is one way that we really felt that you know this is an offensive uh, maneuver that we could uh, we could uh, help out with. So I know everybody else feels that way too. So we there's no way in the world that. Just with our, you know, healthcare organizations that we could have done this, and so many people have helped uh, and donated their time and their efforts to do it. So we do want to thank them for what they do to keep uh, keep Mississippians uh, safe. <music>
2: walker the lady auto mechanic host of autocorrect if you're enjoying this podcast try my podcast autocorrect we help steer you in the right direction with your car problems find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org this is an mpb think radio podcast
1: This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Williams this morning answering your questions about the health care of yourself or someone else in your family or maybe your friend, maybe it's a grandchild or grandparent. Lots of different questions people ask on our program. It may be a question about the medications that they've been prescribed. Uh, Maybe they're new medications. They have some questions about side effects or how they work. Maybe it's a new uh, symptom that they've developed and they aren't quite sure what to do about it. Or maybe it's a chronic health problem that you just want a second opinion on the air. Uh, of course, we can't medically treat you on the air, but we can sort of point you in the right direction and give you that information that you need to become healthier. And that's what we strive for here is to give you some information that can help you uh, be healthier. Uh, lots of different things in, uh, in the news right now, but I wanted to uh, sort of steer away from that and go to a- an email that we received this past week. Uh, So it says that we need advice concerning recommendations for or against infant circumcision. Uh, uh, The local pediatricians are not recommending for or against circumcision. Um, uh, The parents are, uh, are confused. Please give us a medical opinion. So circumcision is one of those things that in infants is very controversial about what to do. It tends to. Uh, it tends to be variable in the region of the country, even down to individual hospitals and hospital systems. Some, sometimes they'll be sort of a, they'll lean a certain way either for or against circumcision. Uh, most of the reasons for uh, male infants getting circumcised are not um, uh, medical in nature. They are, are, excuse me, not religious in nature as they used to be. They, they are more medical now. There's a little bit, you know, I have to sort of, of, of weigh the risk and benefit for getting that. So um, benefits first, you know, there is some evidence uh, for potential benefits of being circumcised. The biggest one probably is a, a lower risk of urinary tract infections in males. Males, uh, Male infants don't get a lot of urinary tract infections. It's a little bit less likely for them than females, However, it is more common in a younger age group, but there is some evidence that being circumcised does decrease your risk of a urinary tract infection uh, in in males. The other thing uh, is there's certain types of of cancers in the area. So penile cancer is probably the biggest one. Again, very uncommon cancer to get, but uh, it's a squamous cell type cancer of the penis uh, but uh, it's it's about one hundred thousand males in the United States that could that could get that. Uh, being circumcised does seem to protect you from getting that uh, cervical cancer in your partners. Uh, there has been some limited evidence that being circumcised does decrease that. So, in uh, to uh, decrease the risk of cervical cancer, um, uh, reduction in inflammation and retraction disorders, and those have to do with uh, you know in uncircumcised males. Uh, if, you don't, um, if you don't retract the foreskin and have good hygiene, it's a little bit harder in some individuals. And then there's a little bit of evidence, too, that there's actually a reduction in HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. So all of those tend to lean towards circumcision as being a little bit better. Now, you have to weigh that against the risk of pain, the, of bleeding, of uh, potential complications, since it is a surgical procedure. Um, you know, the, the people that usually do this vary. So it's, uh, most of the time it's either a pediatrician or an anatologist, uh, or an OBGYN who performs this, um, in, uh, you know, in and around birth. If it's later than that, a pediatric urologist may be the person that's doing this, but all or a family medicine, I shouldn't leave them out either, um, so uh, all of these people are, are, are qualified to do it and certainly trained to do it. Uh, if you get much beyond a couple of months, though, you really need a pediatric urologist, uh, in my opinion, to do that just because of the potential complications and the expertise needed to do it. So you sort of have to weigh those sort of pros and cons. Uh, again, you can decrease some of these things that aren't very common. Uh, by getting uh, your child circumcised, but it's not necessarily a requirement. All right, let's go to Robert from Gulfport. Good morning, Robert. Thank you for calling.
2: Good morning. How are you today? Good. Uh, um, I am a candidate for Mick Jagger surgery. Have you heard of that?
1: I have not. Tell me more about that.
2: I had something that's called aortic stenosis, and Nick Jagger had this same procedure done, I think it was last year, and the remarkable thing, not only that it was Nick Jagger, but I believe it was six weeks after the procedure he was back on stage performing. Uh, The procedure involves, I guess, putting an artificial valve in the aorta, and um, from what I understand, it used to be an open-heart surgery procedure, but now it can be done with a catheter-like instrument, and hence the fast recuperative time for Mr. Jagger, and I'm hoping the same for me.
0: Right. Yeah, Robert, uh, so Robert, long
2: before
1: Mick Jagger had that, it was known as TAVR, Um, so I think, uh, you know, I, I am familiar with that, so Basically, it's a replacement, just as you said, of the aortic valve. The aortic valve is the valve that controls blood flow out of the left ventricle and into the aorta, which is the main artery that goes to the rest of your body. Um, Mm. Now, that valve, if it becomes stenotic, which just means narrowed, uh, you can have a decreased blood flow to, well, generally the rest of your body, so basically decreased blood flow to your extremities, your kidneys, all the major organs including your brain. And that's bad, of course. So uh, used to we used to have to do open heart surgery for this. So you'd have a big scar, they'd have to split your chest open and get to the heart valve to replace it with either a mechanical valve or a porcine or pig valve. And there were some there's pros and cons but, but between each one for each individual. What TAVR does is it allows them to do the valve replacement in the same kind of way that they would do a cardiac catheterization. So in other words, they would pass a very thin long tube uh, into an artery. Usually now they do these through the wrist. They used to do these through the the femoral region too. Uh, And then they deploy this artificial valve through that, those arteries Um, and depending on, you know, some people don't quite qualify for that, but they've gotten really, really good about uh, the procedure. Really, they've been doing these for just about 10 years now. Uh, So the key is getting a cardiologist that's very adept in doing that and has a lot of experience. But, Robert, if they're saying that you qualify, you're exactly right. That gives you a much, much quicker recovery time, and as far as how the valve works, it should work equally as well uh, is getting it the old-fashioned way where they have to do the big sternotomy and uh, bigger surgery. So, yeah, you can certainly, Mick Jagger and tons of other people have had this. Uh, my, many of my patients have had it. So getting the right person and making sure that they're competent in doing it is probably the biggest things. Um, but that's that's certainly something that you, uh, you ought to consider.
2: But absent, <clears throat> pardon me. I said, absent any complications from that type of surgery, is that realistic where after six weeks you're pretty much able to, uh, well, of course I don't perform on stage, but pretty much go back to the life that you were living before?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I don't think, uh, you know, six weeks is probably a good time period to expect uh, doing that. Of course, you'd want to, you know, consult with your cardiologist after. Oh, yeah. and it actually has better at clinical outcomes too. I mean, it, it, people do much better with TAVR now that we've gotten better deployment of those valves and uh, faster time recovery and getting back. I bet you know you're you're, you're it may even be quicker than six weeks.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, from your lips to God's ears, sir. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, right. thank you very much. I appreciate you taking my call. All
1: right, Robert. Good luck to you, and uh, thank you for calling. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Or send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. I uh, got another email here. Um, this is from Mike. Uh, he says, I've had difficulty in controlling my blood pressure for several months. Now I'm on four medications. My blood pressure is still running in the 150s on the top number and 90s on the bottom. I'm 55 years old. I don't smoke. I don't have any other medical problems. My fit physician is suggesting that I get a sleep study to evaluate me for sleep apnea, but I'm not sure how this is related to my blood pressure. Is this appropriate? So, Mike, you, you have what we would call resistant hypertension, and that just means that your hypertension is not to goal. And for you, I'm, I'm guessing that probably your goal, blood pressure, is probably going to be less than 130 on the top and less than 80 on the bottom. For most people, that's our goal, blood pressures. There may be some some individual circumstances when we may not uh, want it to those levels. But less than 130 over 80, uh, if you're not there uh, and you're on three or more medications, that's what we call resistant hypertension. And resistant hypertension... Uh, we really look for other things that might be impacting the blood pressure and keeping it high, and uh, and and making it a little bit more difficult to get to that to that goal. Um, and not knowing what the what the medications are, I'm I'm just going to assume that they're appropriate medications and in the right doses. Uh, so sleep apnea is one of those things that we think about in in looking at resistant hypertension, and particularly what we would call secondary hypertension. That just means there's something else that's impacting the blood pressure. And these can be things like narrowing of the arteries going to the kidneys. There's some hormonal, not the male-female hormones, but other hormones that help to regulate potassium and blood pressure that may be a little out of whack um, and, uh, and so forth. But sleep apnea is a very common one. It's usually associated with other symptoms like daytime Sleepiness where you're falling asleep with normal activities, maybe in conversations or when you get still or there's the the rooms really quiet Um, in the most, uh, you know, the most uh, serious uh, manifestations or if you're driving and you fell asleep, uh, you're doing that on a regular basis. Certainly that could be a symptom. uh, Headaches, particularly in the morning time when you awaken. you know, a spouse or a significant other that says, you know, look, you are keeping me up, you're loud, you're snoring so loudly and you're quit breathing at night. That's sort of a no brainer to get it done. But in your case with an elevated blood pressure, that's not really, um, not really being affected by those medications in the way that we would predict, then um, that's certainly a reason to go get a sleep study. If your physician probably picked up on a couple of other things And people don't necessarily make those connections, but that is totally appropriate. And the good news is if you um, if you get that, if you do have you get the study and you do have sleep apnea or another sleep disorder that they can successfully treat, then your blood pressure could be impacted quite a bit. Um, and other symptoms if you have them. So I would recommend going ahead and taking their advice and getting that done. A sleep specialist is certainly somebody that can help you out, at least um, figure out what's going on. They can do a lot of those sleep studies now at home, depending on your insurance. Most of them have sort of gravitated towards that. So it makes it a little bit easier to get those studies since they are overnight. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Had some great calls so far. Plenty of time for your calls about healthcare questions. You can reach us this morning by calling 1 MPB Ring. That's 1 672 7464. Got another email here from a uh, listener who says My 75 year old wife was diagnosed with dementia about a year ago. She has mild symptoms most days with some short-term memory loss and occasional confusion. I've heard that several medications, certain medications should be avoided in patients with dementia. If so, are there any that she should be avoiding? Should she be seeing a brain specialist? Uh, excellent uh, questions here about dementia. You know, there's plenty of different types of dementia I think everybody sort of is familiar with Alzheimer's, which is really a, a diagnosis of exclusion. There is some testing that uh, is on the, uh, being studied right now to be able to test people for that. Certainly, it can run in some families more than others. But dementia of any kind can be affected by a number of things. Certainly, we've seen one of those this past year with social isolation uh, from, uh, from COVID. Uh, Has impacted people with dementia and almost all of them have had a little bit of a decline because of that Um, So interestingly enough, there's a article that just came out March 9th in the Journal of the American Medical Association That looked at Medicare claims for almost 1.2 million adults uh, Older adults who had dementia and they specifically looked at the medications that they were prescribed looking for certain medications that uh, overlapped with one another and could potentially impact dementia and uh, in brain health. Um, so we know that for for dementia and for older adults, even if they don't have a dementia, there's some medications that may work perfectly well in younger individuals, but aren't metabolized as much or maybe have some, some different side effect effects as we get older. Same kind of thing with younger individuals, too. You know, you can't just cut a medication in half or a quarter and give it to a three-year-old, for instance. There's different ways that that three-year-old's body metabolizes that. Same kind of thing if you have an 85-year-old patient uh, or 75 in this, in this instance. So uh, the study did, interestingly, looking at these 1.2 million Americans with de- dementia, and it found that almost 14 percent of them were prescribed some type of medication that was affecting the central nervous system that just means the brain uh, in in this case and uh, what they described as polypharmacy having three or more medications in certain categories and again none of these medications individually is necessarily a bad thing and it may be appropriate but we know the more medications that you're taking with dementia particularly those that affect the brain the more side effects you can have, and the worse, uh, the worse state your dementia can be in. So these are things like antidepressants, antipsychotic medications, anti-epileptics—that's anti-seizure medications—and some of those are used for other things like chronic pain. Uh, benzodiazepines; these are things that are used, uh, class of medications that are frequently used for anxiety uh, and sleep. Uh, things like Ambien, which helps with sleep too. It's a very popular sleep medication. And of course, opioids. So these are pain medications, narcotic pain medications. So 14%, rather large number uh, of those. And, And certainly if you have those other medications or if you're being prescribed it, you should always question that like, doc, do I really need this? Uh, is there some other alternative that I can take that may be a different class of medications or something else that I can do? Uh, and having a significant other spouse with uh, dementia, you really, it's, it's important to ask those questions. The last question that they ask, should she see a brain specialist? Not actually sure what they mean by brain specialist, but there are certain people that have expertise in these areas. Um, geriatricians have some extra training after their residency in internal medicine or family medicine to really hone in on on those things that are both diagnoses that are particular to other people preventive medicine that's good for those older people and for medications and i will use that word polypharmacy that just means you're taking way too many medications i had an old attending uh decades ago that taught me and he would uh when we he was a cardiologist and he would say when people would come into the uh, hospital with different cardiology problems, he'd say, put them on five medications, no more. And certainly we have a lot more different classes of medications now, and you may be on more than five. But always thinking about that, do I need this medication? Sometimes those medications are prescribed for a very legitimate reason, but they're never taken off after reason resolves. And particularly those that uh, that can treat pain they can treat anxiety or sleep; those are extremely important to try to minimize those. Uh, so, a geriatrician can be somebody that you would see, or a center that really looks at mind and brain health. Like our center here that we have at UMMC is called the Mind Center, M-I-N-D. And not only are they able to treat patients, but they also have a lot of research going on to try to figure out what's best for those patients. A big battery of tests both cognitive test and then test uh, brain imaging to try to figure out those things that would be best. So if you have access to that, that would be something that I would check out, Um, at least, you know, maybe just seeing them once or twice. And then they may say that, you know, you're perfectly fine to continue with your, your usual physician, but it's always a good idea. Uh, based on the evidence that we know to, to minimize those types of medications. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, uh, trying to answer your questions via email or by calls. You can reach us this morning at one mpb ring That's one 877 Or you can send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Um, you know, A lot of questions too about anxiety and inflammation Uh, we know that certain uh, certain uh, mental health uh, conditions can impact the body physically we've done that for years particularly with depression is probably one of the more potent ones depression has been linked to things like uh, heart attacks or coronary artery disease Uh, and certainly inflammation is one of those so what does it do to the body as far as inflammatory conditions and we hadn't had as much evidence for anxiety, but now we're starting to see a little bit more to link these two together. And to look at some of the uh, some of the effects of these, they've looked at a couple of different different inflammatory markers. So these are substances that you can find in the blood. Uh, three in particular are, are uh, C-reactive protein. This is a, a protein that's made in the liver. And helps attach to dying cells, your own cells, or bacteria to try to help the complement system sort of clear those out. Others are IL-6, interleukin-6, and TNF-alpha. Uh, these are substances called cytokines, which are chemical uh, language that the body uses to activate the inflammatory uh, system. And we're starting to get a lot more evidence that anxiety, particularly repetitive anxieties, uh, we've done some studies here. Dr. Galen Marshall's done this. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking back to uh, Katrina and all the stressors that people were going through there, not necessarily overt depression, but uh, anxiety and other things that might affect the immune system and might affect inflammatory conditions. So as much as, as possible, you know, anxiety is just a fact of being human. But when it is pervasive and repetitive, those are the kind of things that over time, can uh, can uh, cause a lot of inflammation in your body, and certainly uh, has the potential to cause a lot of health uh, negative health effects. The number to call this morning, if you'd like to uh, ask us a question, is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two two seven four six four. Let's go to Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. What question do you have today?
2: I'm i like your opinion about something. I wonder if it seems that children are more resistant to the COVID virus than. Other people, and you think it could be their immune systems are more uh, on point uh, because they've had their childhood immunizations, and something in, in those childhood immunizations has boosted their immune system. It, you think there's anything to that?
1: Yeah, see, that's a great question. Now, if you think about it, you know, with other viruses that kids get um, when they're younger that affect older individuals, influenza is probably the one people think about the most. And in that case, both the very young and the very old tend to do the worst. That's not the case with COVID. We know that, you know, COVID-19, older individuals and those who have inflammatory conditions and chronic health conditions uh, do worse. Uh, But it's interesting that younger individuals, we don't really see as much complications. Certainly, there may be a few individuals that have had Uh, you know, had complications or even deaths that are younger. One of the theories behind that is the way that the virus attaches to different cells. So one of the receptors is an ACE receptor in the nasal passages, in posterior pharynx, and then also in the gut. And if you look at younger individuals, uh, infants and young children, they don't have as many of those receptors, Uh, in the tissue. So early on, they were thinking that maybe that may be a mechanism by which they don't, they aren't able to get the viral load, not as many viral particles can uh, be absorbed into their system. Uh, The other thing, you know, immune system-wise, you mentioned a couple of different things with immunizations. We really don't know. I mean, that may be something that can impact. Certainly some immunizations uh, for some things are actually adjutants. That means that they enhance a response towards something else. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, overlap with everything. Uh, the other thing is what happens, you know, during childhood, particularly the exposure to other viruses, uh, particularly in kids that are in, in are around other kids. Um, so it's, we, we just don't know all there is to know about the effects of COVID and interestingly enough, too, the immune system sort of goes haywire with the people who've had the most problems. So it's not that their immune system is weak necessarily, it's that their immune system has this cascade where it is really produced a lot of inflammatory uh, substances in the body, and that's what causes a lot of the problems. It's not necessarily from the virus, it's the body's uh, ability to uh, fight the virus in an appropriate way which is one of the reasons why steroids are used in certain situations to try to limit the immune response uh, to the virus because of all the secondary problems like blood clots in the lungs and uh, and different things. So we all know there's a lot of, I can tell you there's a lot of research going on. We we had several uh, trials here looking at younger individuals who contracted COVID and looking at certain blood levels and uh, other uh, differences that they may have. So uh, that does bring up a great question, Sue. I know a lot of people are are trying to tackle that and try to see, uh, even predict among certain age groups, uh, not just the younger kids, but who would be most effective and who can we target if we see an outbreak going on, who can we protect the most?
2: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your healthcare questions. Got some great questions so far. Uh, If you'd like to reach us this morning, you can call 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464. If you're not able to reach us or something pops into your mind later, you can always email us. We love emails. We try to respond to those when we can, and then also to share their share, share those with our lar- larger audience, if you give us permission, uh, you can reach us by email at remedy at I'm going to go to William in Greenwood. Good morning, William. What's your question this morning?
2: Uh, hi, Doc. Uh, I'm kind of, uh, I haven't had the vaccine yet. I'm a younger person, so um I've been calling at Walmart, and he tell me that you're not ready to have it yet. So I don't want to get that shot. You know, where you take two, and like over there in Europe, where they they had the blood clots in Italy and Germany. How can I assure that I'm not going to get that kind? I I want to get the Johnson Johnson, because I'm scared to death to take that because my mom and my daddy died of blood clots.
1: Yeah, that. that- that particular vaccine is not available in the US right now. So you're you're that's not a shouldn't be an issue with the blood clots. The mm. the other two, you know, the Pfizer and Moderna, both of those haven't had that association either. So all three of the vaccine choices that you have here should be fine from that standpoint.
2: Well, I, I wanted to get the Johnson and judge where you just get the one shot. I don't want to have to go back, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah, that's fine. I think that's, you know, and I think that would be perfectly, you know, fine to get. But, yeah, that's not one that's been, uh, uh, you know, associated with that. AstraZeneca is that one that – and it's still sort of up in the air whether or not it's causing blood clots or not. And, again, that's sort of what we see, you know, just with ongoing testing and and monitoring. But, yeah, Johnson Johnson should be fine. So if they're offering it, and right now you would qualify – you know, it, since we've in Mississippi, we've opened it up to everybody sixteen and up, regardless of medical conditions. So you should be good to go on on signing up for it.
2: Well, is, is Walmart the only place you can get, or can you can I go to my clinic or any? You know, yeah, what,
1: what, what I would I would call your your physician's clinic or Walmart. It really doesn't matter where you get it, as long as you know. And different places have different vaccines. Or you can go to the Mississippi State Department of Health website, and they have some numbers there uh, to call for an appointment. So any of those should be should be just fine. You can call your physician's office; they're probably if they they're not giving it, they could probably they may can even get you scheduled for it. So that's that's what I would do definitely. Can I just ask, and what kind of shot it is? Will they tell me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should know that.
2: Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much. I don't feel a lot better now. Thank you so much. All right, William, you take care.
1: Yeah, it's uh, lots of different uh, lots of different choices now for people, and if you think about it, particularly for Mississippians, that's why I said at the top of the hour, uh, you know, it's um, the the best shot to get is the shot you can you can you can get. So if you have problems with transportation and uh, the one shot Johnson and Johnson, if that's the one to get, then um, then that, that would be my choice. And again, the, the, how effective it is, it seems to be pretty effective, uh, against getting it. And then if you do get it, it's a much, much, uh, um, less complicated course or a risk of having a complicated course with it. Uh, you know, smoking, we've known for a long time now, smoking's bad for you, but, uh, still 40 million Americans smoke. That's a lot of people, Um, a lot of concerns about quitting smoking. Some people will say, well, particularly with all the stressors, you just talked about that, Dr. Jimmy. And, uh, if I quit smoking, I'm sure to have more stress because it's a stress relief. Interestingly enough, there's a study, uh, just done on the positive health effects mentally after quitting smoking. And, uh, it's just the opposite of what you would think. So a lot of people smoke, they feel a lot better and that's, uh, at least on the short term, that's because of the way it inter- interacts with the brain and the nicotine receptors and dopamine uh, levels in your brain. But uh, actually, if you quit smoking, within a number of weeks, you can start to have positive health care uh, uh, benefits from that. Um, and doesn't just have to be you know breathing or chronic cough or all the other things that you can have with smoking. Uh, but there are greater reductions in anxiety, depression, and symptoms of stress when people have, um, have been, uh, you know, have looked at this. So I would encourage you to quit smoking. There's lots of good ways to do that. Um, there is a, a couple of different hotlines that you can call. Um, call your physician's office. They can help. Medications can certainly be good adjuncts to doing that along with the plan. So uh, there are a number of different medications or nicotine uh, replacement and weaning uh, whether that's gum or transdermal, uh, through the skin uh, to get that. So Chantix is another one that sort of blocks that receptor. Uh, Wellbutrin has been used to lots of different things that have been used to try to help people do that. So positive effects all the way around, not to mention your um, your uh, uh, pocketbook, because uh, cigarettes are not, uh, I don't smoke, but uh, what I've been told, every time I have, somebody, I have a patient that smokes, I'm like, hey, how much does that cost now? um sometimes that's a great motivator if you know somebody who's smoking say how much are you paying four dollars five dollars for a pack of cigarettes uh and then multiply that times the amount that they smoke it's a good big uh, chunk of money that you uh that you put into there of course it's a powerful addiction it really is but we do have some great ways to uh, help people to stop smoking um a couple of other things about uh you know some of the um uh, things that people, uh, uh, think about this time of year to allergies. Um, you know, it's, I, <laughs> it's, it's, sort of nice to have a shower every once in a while, not just because of all the pollen on the car, but because of the way my face feels, uh, because I suffer just like just about every Mississippian in some form or fashion from allergies, but avoidance sort of hard to do that, particularly when you have a pollen cloud, um, to, uh, that floats through the air. I saw a picture from Marshall Ramsey about that on, uh, on uh, Twitter not too long ago. But uh, uh, doing some regimens, particularly a nasal washout, uh, topical steroids to the nasal passages, maybe some antihistamines too. Uh, talk to your doctor about that. All three of those things can be done over the counter and perfectly uh, perfectly good for you to, to do and try and have minimal side effects. Um, but think about that. Think about uh, sort of cleaning out things and Uh, in your homes this time of year. And everybody stay safe with all the weather. Just wanted to mention that one more time. Good preventive things that you may want to think about. Going ahead and putting those flashlights out if anybody loses power because of the wind. Um, Go ahead and plan now for that so that you're not caught in the middle of it um, tonight. So everybody stay safe out there uh, as much as you can and, uh, and pay attention to the weather. Certainly we've got great ways to monitor this